Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 45, and he's going to say, don't miss the signs. We need to hear this, we need to heed this, we would see a sign from thee. You see, that starts out with a sign. We would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented of the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And then Jesus gives a, a parable here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out, and whence he has come. He findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. So this is a warning of Christ to his people here, to these people here, and to us here today. Don't miss the signs. So let's pray together, and, and I hope that we can work our way through this passage, and we can heed this warning today. Don't miss the signs. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We love the, the passages that are full of blessing and, and encouragement and uh, the, the ones that just warm our hearts. We love those. And God, we'll, we'll preach one of those next Sunday on Easter. But today in front of us we have a warning passage. And these are often hard for us to hear and even harder for us to heed. So I pray, God, that you would use your word, this warning, and pierce our hearts with it, that we may hear this, understand it. And God, help me to do my best to help us to understand it. I think this passage here will, will be tough to explain, so help me with it. And God, help the people that's watching online to understand. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what you're saying to us today. We need this. In our time today, in the world we're living in, in this wicked and adulterous generation, we need to hear these words. Don't miss the sign. So help us here today, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a man, a famous uh, skeptical philosopher, which means skeptical, he was, he was an unbeliever. He didn't believe in God. His name was Bertrand Russell, and he wrote a book uh, several years ago entitled, Why I'm Not a Christian. And he argued in this book, the entire book was an argument against the existence of God, saying this is why God doesn't exist, or this is why I believe God doesn't exist. And somebody came up to him one day, this author, Bertrand Russell, again, who wrote the book, Why I'm Not a Christian, and they ask him, if you die and you stand before God one day, and, and, and he will, and God looks at you and says, why didn't you believe in me? Why didn't you believe in my son? What answer will you give God if you stand before him? And Bertrand Russell just, he, 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 he took the question and he said, okay, I want to answer. This is what I would tell God. If God asked me why I didn't believe in him, here's what I'll say. My answer will be, there was not enough evidence. There was not enough proof that you existed. There was not enough signs in the world that you existed. That would be his answer as he stood before God. Here's why I didn't believe in you. You didn't give me enough evidence to believe in you. 
And I don't think that's true. I think he had all the evidence in the world because God has given us all the evidence that we need to prove that he does exist. The, the, the Bible says that creation screams. Psalm 19.4 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and his handiwork. So as we step out of our houses, and I know we're spending more time outside maybe than we ever have before, but if we step outside and we just look around for just a few minutes and we look at the stars and we see the sun and we see the moon, we see all of the creation, we can even look at our own lives our own bodies and all of it declares screams to us that there is a God it declares the glory of God and not just creation scripture says the same thing it's full of sign after sign after sign that God does exist that he did send his son to die on the cross for our sins it's obvious it's clear anybody with a right mind can understand that God does exist even Romans 1:20 says for the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There's no excuse for us to not believe in God. So what was His problem? Why didn't He believe? It wasn't the evidence. It wasn't that He was ignorant. He, he was a smart man. It wasn't that He was blind. That's my first question. Is this guy blind? Can He not see? Is He deaf that He cannot hear? No, He, he was able to see. He could hear. And why didn't He believe? And the answer is, he simply chose not to believe. He chose not to see it. His mind was made up, it was fixed, it was settled, and get this, no evidence, no sign, no amount of proof in the world could have convinced him otherwise because his mind was made up. And that's exactly what's going on here in Matthew chapter 12. These men that Jesus is... is arguing with, being confronted by, had been given an unbelievable amount of evidence. Twelve chapters. We're in Matthew 12 and we have worked our way over a year and a half in Matthew from chapter 1 to chapter 12 and we have seen sign after sign after sign after sign. We have hear, heard His words that says, I am God. I am, I am come from God. I'm come going to the cross to die for your sins. We've heard all of His words. We've seen all of His works. Uh, and every bit of it speaks to, declares that He is the Son of God. That He has come from God to save us from our sins. He's healed all manner of disease. Only God can do that. He has cast out demons. Only God can do that. He has created food, calmed the storm, walked on water, raised the dead, and forgiven sin. Only God can do that. So all signs, all evidence for all these men and for us here today point to Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. But these Pharisees that He's talking to, with all this right in front of them, seeing it, understanding it, knowing it, has not just missed the signs. They've said that he's from Satan. And that he's done all these things by the power of Satan. Showing their attitude towards Jesus is that they, they, they have refused it completely. They're not even going to think about it. Their mind is made up. They're settled. They're convinced that he isn't who he says he is. And they won't believe no matter what evidence you give them, no matter what sign you show them, there's no way they are going to change their mind. They are settled in their unbelief. This is complete rejection with full evidence, with full understanding. And here in this passage, and I think it's the last one, Jesus gives one last warning to them. He gives them one final sign. The sign above all other signs. 
And after this, it's over. After this, there will be no more. For them, after this, it's over. It's too late for them. This is their last sign. I remember going on trips when I was younger and you'd go up into the mountains and there'd be a sign right before we're at the bottom of a mountain or right before you're getting ready to go on a long journey and it says, last stop for 30 or 40 miles. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, I might get thirsty for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 miles. We might need to stop here. Or do you have enough gas, Dad? We might have to, we might stop and get gas right now. There's no more stops for this long. This is the last one, Dad. Well, that's kind of what this is here. It's a, a sign that says, last warning. No more. Don't miss this sign. And it's not that you're going to run out of gas. It's not that you're going to get thirsty. It's not that you're going to need to use a bathroom. This last sign is, if you miss this, you're going to end up in hell. So we don't want to miss this sign. Don't make the same mistake the Pharisees made. Don't miss the sign. So let's look at it. I'm going to work my way through this passage in three different points just to kind of help us understand where we're going and what we're doing. I want to show you first of all, again, don't miss the signs. Number one, I want to show you the demand for another sign. The demand for another sign. And you see that very clearly in verse 38, that they demand of Jesus another sign. And again, He has given thousands of signs. He has healed all manner of disease in the nation. He's wiped it out. He's raised the dead. He's given them food. He's done all manner of signs pointing to Him being the Christ. But they walk up to Him in verse 38 and they demand another sign. Verse 38, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying... So they, they picked out a few guys. This is not all of them. It's like they're sitting there saying, Who wants to go talk to Jesus? <laughs> Volunteers? And they picked out a few. And they go and demand of Jesus. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered saying, Master, they're being polite. Teacher, we would see a sign from thee. We, will, we demand that you show us another sign. And they've already seen in chapter 12, just here, the, the healing of a withered hand, the casting out of a demon, the, the making of a blind to see and the deaf to hear and the, and the mute to talk. So they've, they've seen signs just in, that, in, in a day's time. And they come up to him and they say, that's not enough. We need more. We need you to perform some amazing act to authenticate who you are and that you are who you say you are. So give us one more amazing, outrageous, remarkable, significant, spectacular sign. We want something beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are who you say you are. Convince us. Confirm this to us that you are who you say you are. They want a sign from heaven. They want Him to put on a show. To jump through some hoops. To, to perform for them. Like He's some clown. They want Him to paint this guy gold. To sit there like He has a paintbrush in His finger and say, I am God across the sky. Do something spectacular like that. They want Him to bring down some angels. They want to hear a voice from heaven, from the Father, saying, this is my Son, and they've already had that. They want it again. They want to rearrange the stars. They want Him to, to put the stars, say, this star over here and this star over here and, and just to move everything around so that they can see a, a remarkable sign. And what they're saying is, give us something real good and if you do it, then we'll believe. I've seen that type. 
I've heard from those who say, if God will answer my prayer, I'll believe in it. I've had people that say, I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray. And God gives me an audible voice telling me, then I'll believe. If only God will show me one more sign. So how does Jesus respond? He says, no. You're not going to get it. Look what he says. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh. That's a good, good word, seeketh. Craves for. We have a generation today in our culture, even in America, where we have people that are craving signs. They crave the, the spectacular. They crave the remarkable. They, they, they crave more from God than what He's already given. They come into church on Sundays and, and they, if it's not a show, if it's not a performance, if the preacher's not up here jumping through hoops and, and all this remarkable, outrageous things going on, then it's not from God. They need more. They crave it. And Jesus says, no, 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 evil and adulterous generation wants a sign, craves a sign. Jesus knows their heart. Jesus knows that no matter what He does, and again, He's already done thousands, that no matter what He does, He's never going to change their mind. He knows their mind is made up. He knows there's nothing He can do. He knows that He could go to the top of the temple, because this question is, it, it, it sounds like Satan when Jesus is being tempted in Matthew 4, when Satan says, jump off the pinnacle of this temple and, and let the angels come and swoop you up. Do that. Turn this, this stone into bread. Do, do these miraculous things. That's what they're saying here. And, and Jesus knows if, if He was to jump off the pinnacle of the temple and do a, a, you know, all these crazy flips and just swoop down and, and land, and, and that they would still find a way to say, no, nah, that's not good enough. Give us another one. Because their mind is made up. They're settled. There's nothing Jesus could show them to change their mind. So Jesus says, but... He says, no, no sign shall be given, but it's kind of the opening of the door for one more sign. Opening the door for grace. If you want a sign, here's the last sign you'll get. The finale. We'll talk about 4th of July and fireworks. You sit for 15, 20, 30, 35, 40, 45, just you know, a little dud fireworks going on. And then you wait for that finale when all the fireworks go off. And everybody sits and goes, ooh, ooh, wow. And we take pictures and we take videos of the finale. Well, Jesus has been doing all these miracles. We've been watching thousands upon thousands of miracles. He says, I'll give you one more and it'll be the finale. It'll be the last one you get. It'll be the one that should convince the world that I am who I said I am. You say, what is that sign? He says here, but, but the sign of the prophet of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. This is the last sign. You say, what is it? Well, let me tell you the story of Jonah. I think we've all heard it. I could summarize it best by saying, and I found this earlier this week, from the boat to the belly, to the burp to the beach, Jonah went to Nineveh to preach, preach, preach. But you know the story, and I, that, that's, that's just for the kids that are watching. But we all know the story. God sends Jonah to Nineveh to preach to these ungodly pagans 
who he's about to judge and completely wipe out. And Jonah doesn't want to go to them because he don't like them. So instead of going to Nineveh way over here, Jonah gets on a boat and says, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction of that. And God says, you can't disobey me. I'm going to send a, a big whale, a big fish, and it's going to come and, and they're going to throw you off the boat and the, and the whale's going to come and, and you're going to be in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights and then it's going to spit you out of its belly into Nineveh and you're going to preach, preach, preach to those people and they're going to be saved. And Jesus says, just like Jonah, it was three days and three nights at the bottom of the ocean. That great fish that God sent swallowed Jonah up and went to the bottom of the ocean with him. And three days later, that fish spit Jonah out. And this is a picture, Jesus says, of what he's going to do. The same fate. It says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man, Jesus, be in the heart of the earth. You say, what does this mean? That Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale. Jesus will be three days in the heart of the earth. What is this last sign of Jonah that will convince the whole world, or should convince the whole world, that Jesus is who He said He was? And the answer is this final sign, and you don't want to miss it. This is the sign that's the point of the whole sermon. Don't miss this sign. This sign is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the sign above all signs. The greatest sign that's ever been given that should be pointing to Jesus for all of us to see that He is exactly who He said He was. He can do all these other miracles and they're like fireworks, fireworks, fireworks. And then when He's resurrected, it is the finale of all finales. Jesus is exactly who He said He was. No other man has ever been resurrected from the dead to live forevermore. Jesus is who He said He was. He will die. Just picturing Jonah. But He won't be in the belly of the whale. He'll be in the heart of the earth. The heart of the earth describes as far from God as you can get. God is in the heights of heaven and the heart of the earth is in the depths of the earth. Far from heaven, as far from life as you can get. He'll be in the heart of the earth. And three days later, Jesus will be resurrected. As Jonah was spit out of the well and, and on, the, on the, the beach, Jesus will be risen from the grave. This will prove beyond a doubt, convincingly, to confirm and authenticate who Jesus is. Romans 1.4 says that Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power. Declared. As the heavens declare the glory of God, the resurrection declares Jesus to be the Son of God. You want a sign? It's the empty tomb. That's the only sign the church needs. We don't need the spectacular today. We had the spectacular 2,000 years ago. That's our message. That's the message that the apostles went into the book of Acts and took to the whole wide world. Every other religion is dead. Every other religious leader is dead. Our religious leader is alive and alive forevermore. Our sign is the empty tomb. That's why every year at Easter the church is 
pack the place full in all of our beautiful clothes and, and we gather together with smiles on our face. And it's not just on Easter Sunday we celebrate it, but that's our big finale. When we tell the world we're gathering because our Savior is alive. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Krishna is dead. All the other religions and their followers are dead. Our Savior is alive and it's a sign declaring Jesus to be who He said He was. The church needs no other signs. The world needs no other signs. The man we talked about in the introduction needed no other sign. All signs point to Jesus being who He said He was. This is the greatest sign ever given. This is the only sign that we need. If you want a sign, if you demand a sign, here it is. Jesus is alive. A sign telling the whole world that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That is our sign. Do not miss that sign. Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen from the dead. Proving Him to be exactly who He said He was. You say, yeah, that's a powerful sign. I don't know how anybody, you'd have to be, get this, you'd have to be blind to not see that. 500 witnesses saw Him. The apostles declared Him. It's a a historical fact that we have a resurrected Savior. You'd have to be blind not to see that. You'd have to be deaf not to hear that. Your heart would have to be so hard to not accept that truth. So how do these Pharisees take it? Here's their final sign. Clear, undeniable, irrefutable. What do they do with it? They told Jesus in Luke 16 in the parable of the rich man Lazarus. He said, if you'll send back somebody from the dead, they'll believe. And Jesus said, no, they won't. They won't believe the prophets. Moses, Jonah, the others. They won't even believe if I send somebody from the dead. That's exactly what's happening here. We see their demand for another sign. Let me show you point number two. Their decision to reject the sign. That's verses 41 and 42. As Jesus looks back, He goes back into history, and He says, if these people had the signs you have, they would have received it and repented like that. They didn't have half of what you had. They they, they only had a small little inkling of what you have. And they accepted and you rejected. Look what he says. He starts with the men of Nineveh, the people that Jonah went to, to preach to. It says, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. I mean, this, this is, they had Jonah. Jonah was a terrible prophet. He was, he was, I mean, some people even question whether he was actually a believer or not. He was that, he was that bad. And God sent him to pagans with no information at all, no signs, no revelation, nothing. And he showed up and he had no miracles. He was not a great preacher. And he got to Nineveh and here was his sermon. One sermon. Listen to it. This is his sermon from Jonah 3. Here's his sermon. I would have a hard time getting three points out of this sermon. Here's what he says. He shows up to to the whole city of Nineveh. Here he is. And they say, what do you got? And he stands up and, and everybody's listening. And here's what he says. Here's his sermon. It wasn't an hour long. You probably wished I preached like Jonah preached. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. (laughs) That's his sermon. So they got a bad preacher. 
a bad man, no miracles, no sign, no revelation, no history, nothing. And Jesus said, and they repented. And it wasn't just that they repented. Their king said, when they heard this sermon, their king announced to the whole land, let us seek God together. Maybe God will have mercy on us and spare us. And there was a great revival in Nineveh, unlike anything the world has ever seen. Hundreds of thousands of people repented of their sins and turned to God. They had a bad preacher, a bad sermon, no miracles and no signs. Just a little bitty tiny sermon. And hundreds of thousands of people I can do a sidebar here. I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to. What if our leaders stood up today in the midst of our turmoil that we're in and said, let us seek God together. Maybe God will have mercy on us and spare us. We might see hundreds of thousands of people repent and believe and turn to God. That's what the king of Nineveh did. And again, the whole city repented. Huge impact with very little signs. They had less, but they repented. Let me give you another one. Jesus says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment. Verse 42, And the queen of south shall rise up in judgment. He gives another illustration with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. I mean, I know we probably don't know much about the queen of the south. and She came from the furthest part that they could imagine in the world. The queen of the south is the queen of Sheba. She came from the opposite end of the world because she heard about Solomon. She was, if you can imagine this, she was as far as you can get away from Israel and Solomon. And she heard word that a wise man was in Israel. And she said, okay, I'm packing all my people up and I'm going to gather all my things and I'm going to make the journey. And it was like a two-week journey by sea. And she made the journey, came all that way with little to no information other than there is a man Man in Israel that speaks for God. I've got to hear this. I'm going to cross land. I'm going to cross sea. I'm going to get everybody that I can. We must hear from God. And she came and fell at the feet of Solomon and said, teach me. And all of her people, and her included, repented of their sins and they had very little to go by. No preaching, no signs, no miracles, nothing. Just a man of God speaking for God. That's all they had. The length she went to hear from God and to be right with God. The Pharisees won't move an inch. Jesus says that's how they did, did act. And the Pharisees had. He says this word greater there in verse 41 and 42 twice. Behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The Pharisees in that generation had greater signs, had a greater preacher, had greater miracles, had greater signs, had a greater prophet. They didn't have a man from God. They had a man that is God. Superior signs, superior wonders, superior works, superior words, and he was standing right in front of them. And they didn't repent. They rejected. They had all the evidence staring them in the face. 
and they reject it. Nineveh and the queen of the south had little to no evidence and repented. And Jesus says here, you'll be judged. He says you'll be condemned. Verse 41. Condemned. Verse 42. At judgment, when you stand before God and you say, I needed more. Give me another sign. Are you like the guy in the opening illustration? I needed more evidence. And that's what you say. I needed more evidence. I needed a, a, another sign. It wasn't enough. You didn't tell me enough. You didn't show me enough. The answer will be, Nineveh had less than you did and believed. The queen of the south had less than you did and believed. You had more. You had superior. You had better. And you still refused to believe. They had a small lot. And the Pharisees had a great lot. Let me say this. i got to move on. We have more than any of them. We have more than Nineveh had. We have, we have more than the queen of Sheba had. We have even more than the Pharisees have. You say, oh, no, no, no. Jesus was right there in front of them. They, they, they had it all right there. No, 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 no. We have more than they have. We have the record of everything that He did for them plus more added on. We have a record of everything Jesus said and everything that He did. It's all right here in front of us. You'd have to be blind to miss it. You'd have to be deaf not to hear it. Your heart would have to be so hardened against God for you not to believe it. We have more than they did. How much will we be condemned if we reject all the signs. Let me ask you to turn with me to show you just how hardened they are in this. Matthew 28. And if you listen very, very closely, I can hear through the, the airwaves Bibles turning. That's probably just Gracie. But I, I can still hear Bibles turning. Matthew 28. I'm going to read the... I don't need to read the whole thing to you because I'll run out of time. But watch how they respond to the resurrection. In the end of the Sabbath, verse 1, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning. His raiment was white as snow. You want a sign? There's an earthquake. There's an angel that's like lightning, white as snow, sitting on top of the tomb. You want a sign? There's a sign. There's a comedian that used to say, here's your sign. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. His countenance was like lightning. His raiment was white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and fell down like dead men. <laughs> you want a sign? And the angel answered and said to the woman, here's an angel come down from heaven to speak. You want a sign? Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. You want a sign? He's not here. For he is risen. As he said, come and see. you want a sign? Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Here it is. He's not in here. You want a sign? Look at the empty tomb. I could have preached this next week. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there you shall, if you've got eyes to see, you'll see. And lo, I've told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring His disciples' word. And as they went to tell His disciples, behold, Jesus met them. You want a sign? Saying, all help. And they came and held Him by the feet and they worshipped Him. He was there in the flesh. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. 
Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now here's the verse I wanted to get to. Sign after sign after sign after sign. And when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. All the things that were done. Right before their eyes, right before their ears, right in front of them. And when they were assembled, same men from Matthew chapter 12, with the elders and a taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, here's what they say about this son. Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying, we'll say this, this lie is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. They had the most obvious sign right in front of them. And it still wouldn't change their mind. They wasn't ignorant. They wasn't dumb. They wasn't blind. They wasn't deaf. They didn't lack information. They had it all. But nothing in the world would change their mind. Not even the greatest sign the world has ever seen. This is willfully defiantly, knowingly rejecting Christ with full understanding and full knowledge. And it is the worst thing you can do. Imagine it this way. You're driving down the road and for 10 miles you get signs that say road out, road out. Nine more miles, the road is out. Eight more miles, the road is out. Seven more miles, the road is out. And you just keep driving. And you just keep driving. And you get to that last sign, and it is the biggest and the brightest. And it's right there in front of you for your eyes to see, and it's even blaring out horns so your ears can hear it. You've got family in the car that's saying, Stop! And that last sign blaring out to you. And you pass it right on by. And you drive you and your family straight off the cliff. This is what the Pharisees are doing here. The last sign for their eyes and their ears blaring out to them. Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. All signs point to Him. They didn't just miss it. They willfully, defiantly, and knowingly rejected the sign. And by rejecting the sign, they rejected the Son and they rejected the Savior. And this is the sign that goes out to the whole world. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is what we must preach. This is what people must hear. This is what they must see from us. A living, risen Savior. And if they say no to this, I'm going to show you the danger that's ahead. You've seen, and I'm going to close here, the demand for another sign, the decision to reject the sign, and lastly, the danger of missing the sign. 
the danger of missing the sign because he gives a parable here that is frightening. More than frightening. I, I, if there's a, a better word, terrifying. He starts with a parable and, and I took me a while to figure out what he meant by this. Almost like it's out of place. Verse 43, I'm going to read it to you just to get it in your ears before I explain it. He says, When an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, when a demon leaves a man. We've already seen that in, I think, verse 22, that Jesus cast out a demon out of a man. So we know that demons can possess men. Demons do, do possess men. And it actually says here that demons want to possess men. So it says when a demon, and we don't know how this unclean spirit got out of the man, but the unclean spirit got out of man and was walking through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. So the demon didn't have any place to go. He left the man, and he's walking around with nowhere to go. He, he's kicking rocks. He has nothing to do. He's, he's, he's like us, isolated at home. Where am I going to go? Then he saith in verse 44, I know what I'll do. I'll return into my house, and house being the man, where I live, from whence I came out. And when he comes to the man, he finds that man is empty, keyword, empty, swept, and garnished. Garnished being clean. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits, seven other demons, more wicked than himself, and they enter in there and stay. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And here's the key. Even so shall it be also for the Pharisees of that wicked generation. You say, Josh, what on earth does that mean? The man had a demon. The man got rid of it. The man cleaned up his life, but his life was still as empty as it could be. And the demon comes back with more demons and possesses him again. You say, tell us what that means. The key to it is that man is worse off at the end than he was before. You say, how is he worse off? Let me ask you this. Is, is it worse to have one demon or eight demons? What do you think? One or eight? Eight's worse. Great. Gracie got it. Brandon, okay, Brandon, Brandon's got it too. Eight demons is worse than one. We know that. So he started out with one and he ended up with eight. It's worse off at the end than it was at the beginning. And he's, he's talking about the Pharisees here. Let me ask you this. And I'll ask the two people I have here. Which is worst? Which is worse, to be lost or hopeless? The answer both of you give is hopeless. You can be lost and have hope. You can be lost and think, okay, somebody could find me. You can be lost and say, okay, I could be saved one day. You can be lost and have, have all kinds of hope. It's bad to be lost, but it is so much worse to be entirely hopeless and have no hope of being found, no hope of being saved, no hope of heaven at all. And that's what he's saying here. These Pharisees started out lost, and they rejected Jesus, and now they're not only lost, they're completely hopeless. And he gives us this perfect illustration. These Pharisees were clean. They cleaned up their lives. And on the surface, they were holy. They had good habits. They were good people. They went to the temple. But he says they were empty. I'm going to use it this way. Jesus had knocked on their door. 
me do it a little bit louder. Excuse me. Echoes real good in here when there's nobody here. Jesus had knocked on their, their heart's door. And they had opened the door to him. And Jesus had done miracles there at the doorstep. He had performed works. He had preached sermons. He had done everything right in front of them. And they had taken the door. Revelation 3 says, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And they had taken the door and shut it in his face and said, We will have none of you. And it left them worse off than before he came and knocked on their doors. He told them, he'd shown them, he'd invited them, and they denied the obvious. And it had left them empty. And there's a lot of empty lives. A lot of people, let me describe so many people. They have a good job, a happy marriage, they go to church. But inside, they've said no to Jesus, and they're as empty and as hollow and void as they can be. And they know it. No life of God in the soul of man. No Christ in, in them. They've closed the door on Jesus. And this isn't always like the Pharisees where they slam it in his face and say, no, we don't want you. And understand this, you close the door on God, you open the door to all kinds of evil things. They close the door on Jesus. And we here, some people may just slam the door and say, I want to have nothing to do with you, Jesus. And you're worse off than you were before. Some people just close it a little bit at a time. No, no. But every time you close it a little, it gets a little bit closer to being closed all the way where you can never open it again. They had closed the door to Jesus in his face. They wouldn't have Christ. They were resisting the grace of God and the offer of Christ in Matthew 11 when he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Him standing at the door saying that. Come unto me. Come unto me. Come unto me. Let me in. Uh, receive me and I'll come into you and we'll sup like it says in Revelation 3. Come on. He's urging. He's pleading. Come on. And they close the door on him and they are left in, not just in a lost state, but they're left in a hopeless state where Jesus, get this, is walking away, turning his back and leaving them in eternal darkness forever. It's one thing for you to reject Jesus. It's another for Jesus to reject you. And at this moment, when they close the door on Jesus, He walks away never to come back. And they were worse off than when they started. Not just lost, that's terrible. But hopeless without hope in the world. The more they reject, the worse it gets. And here in this passage, and you're going to see this, chapter 12 is a turning point in Matthew. Because here in chapter 12, he is turning away from them. 
They are the withered tree. And he goes in a completely different direction in Matthew 13. It's over for them. The Pharisees had now crossed the line. They had crossed the point of no return. Left in darkness, left in emptiness, left in their sin. If you continually reject him, he will ultimately reject you. I'll say it this way. He won't always be knocking. I was running yesterday, listening to sermons, and that saying kept going over and over in my mind. He won't always knock. He won't always knock. He won't always knock. So you better answer when he does. Because he does knock. He'll come to your house, like it says here. He'll knock. He'll knock. He'll knock. And you never know when the last knock will come. Knocks one time, you say no. Knocks second time, you say no. You're never guaranteed a second knock. When you close your life off to God, you are opening it up to all kinds of evil. And you are left hopeless and helpless in the world. No hope. And that's what this is, the unpardonable, unforgivable sin. No more chances. No more offers. No more warnings. No more signs. You've been given everything that you can be given. He's given you every sign that you could ever imagine. Miracle after miracle, sermon after sermon, and then the resurrection. At that point, it's over. I'll give you one more illustration and I'll close. If you can imagine with me going to an airport, and I've been to several. I've used the door, used the house. When you go to an airport, they tell you to get there two hours before time. Get your bags checked, go through all the security stuff, the wands, taking the belts off, and then you finally get to your door, your gate, where you're going to leave. And you'll sit there for who knows how long, an hour, and they'll have, they have over the loudspeaker, over and over and over, they'll say, uh, plane leaving in this, this amount of time, this amount of time. And then they, they'll start doing sections of, of the plane. You've got your first class, they get to go first, and I'm usually in the last class, so I get to sit there and they'll say, section one, you can get up and go now. Section two, you can get up and go now. And I think there's usually about six sections. Section three, and I'm sitting there, and I have been around a huge crowd, and all of a sudden I'm getting to section six, and it's just me sitting there. I'm getting the last seat on the plane. And then if you're sitting there towards the end, they'll, they'll say, last call. And I think they say last call about ten times. Last call for this plane going in this direction. Last call for this plane going in this direction. Final call. Final call. We're getting ready to shut the door. And when they shut the door, you're still sitting there thinking, okay, the plane's still on the ground. And then I'm always on the plane, but I'm sitting there thinking, what if I miss my plane? They shut the door. And I watch that plane get on the runway. And I see it take off. They're not going to turn around and get me. It's hopeless. I'm not leaving. And there are so many calls by Jesus. 
And people sit and listen to him. In churches. He calls. And he calls. And he convinces. And he confirms. Over and over and over and over. And people sit in the pews. And people hear these sermons online. And they sit there and say, I've got time. I've got time. Because we are the the worst procrastinating people on the planet. I've got time. I've got another day. I've got this chance. I'll have another chance. I'm so young. I can do it. I'll get on my deathbed. You don't know when He will turn and walk away from you and you'll have no more chances and you're not just lost. You're a hopeless. There are people in the world who have closed the door on Jesus and they are, they are lost and they are a hopeless. I don't know who they are. We don't know their hearts. But there's people out there like that. And I hope and pray that you're not one of those people that as you're sitting here listening to this, it's over for these Pharisees. That's bad news. But if you're sitting here listening to this, I've got good news for you. It's not over. You still have a chance. So here's my invitation to you. And and I'm going to close. I have to do this. If He is speaking to you today, I want to be very clear on this. And if you made it 50 minutes into this sermon, I, I give you a kudos tough passage if you've made it all the way with me you deserve a pat on the back but if you're sitting there in your house and you're watching this maybe live maybe tomorrow maybe later in the week and you're listening to this and you are sure that he's speaking to you knocking on your heart's door and he's convicting you your life is empty you might have cleaned it up you might be good, you might be religious, you might go to church you might be decent but ultimately you're empty on the inside and you know it because you've never invited Jesus into your heart you've never said fill me up, come in take control of my life he's speaking to you today he's convincing you today if he's convicting you today Oh, this is important if He's calling you today. Sense the emptiness of your soul and seek Him while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Invite Him in while the door is open. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Do it today. Today is God's day. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation. Do me this favor. And as you're watching this, say this. I hate I want to give you words to say. But if he's convicting, convincing, and calling, then say this. Come and feel the emptiness of my soul. Come and feel the emptiness of my soul. I don't want anything else to fill me. I don't want any evil. I don't want any of the worldliness coming and filling me that will not satisfy me. Come and feel the emptiness of my soul. Before it's too late. Because if you don't do it today, 
he may not ever speak to you ever again. He may, but he may not. And that is scary. Door closed, plane take off. No more chances. No more opportunities. So do me that favor. Come and do me that favor. Do yourself that favor. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Invite him while the door is open. And let me give you one final sign that I don't want you to miss. You've got your Bibles, and I'm going to close with this. John 3. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a verse, what a promise, what a sign. And one more, John 6, 47. You don't have to turn there. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. The key word in both those verses is believing on Jesus. It's as simple as that. That's all you need Make sure you don't miss the sign. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us in your word today. I know this is a difficult warning passage. Not always fun to hear, but necessary to hear. And I pray that you're by your word and by your spirit you have convicted, that you have convinced, and that you are calling people even now. That as people are listening to this, and I hope they are, I hope our church people are praying, God, please convert. God, please convert. God, please convert. Please, please work in hearts. Please. All this sickness, coronavirus, empty churches would be worth it if you use this tragedy, this pandemic, to convert one soul. So God, while I'm saying this, I pray there's somebody out there that's saying, come and feel the emptiness of my soul. I believe, I believe. Please use your word to accomplish what you've set it out to do today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name.